Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and it is myself Toby Tarrant, it is Daniel Norcross who is right now puffing on a cigarette and gazing to the sky of his beautiful Georgian home ready for another wonderful podcast and Stephen Finn who is sat there in quite a fetching sort of fleecy number whilst mm. eating something that I can't quite make out at the moment. Finney, uh, first of all, talk to me about the fleece. What's the inspiration behind that particular Jackson Pollock number? Well, it, it's warm, I think, first and foremost, as we enter October and the end of the cricket season. Beautiful. It's important that you keep yourself warm. And I'm not able to exercise to increase my body temperature either at the moment still because of because of my knee. So, so yeah, it's a, another way to just try and wrap up that little bit warmer in October. It's a lovely, lovely fleece, but it does look a little bit like the carpet at a Weatherspoons. There's quite a fetching pattern on it. Well, there's a few less of those this week now, isn't there? I think. That's true. That's where they've <laughs> gone. They've gone to Finney's wardrobe. There we go. <laughs> you see, I, I've got to take issue with the idea that there I mean, there's surely certain types of exercise that a grown, attractive young man like yourself can get up to that keep you warm, that don't involve... Your knees. I mean, it may tremble a touch, but it would be otherwise left mostly fine. Not entirely sure where you're going. Oh, I'm just you know, <laughs> I can I can keep warm without running around. Is what I'm saying. Right. God, yeah, there's an image. This yeah. be this is the quickest we've ever hot. lost listeners on the podcast. This is the quickest they've ever turned <laughs> off. People are going, oh, do you know what? If Norcross is going to put that image in my head, actually. That reminds me, actually, of something that I wanted to talk about this week on the podcast. So mm-hmm. I, I received a I received a tweet to Zero Ducks Given this week. I spotted a tweet that came in from Dan, not Dan Norcross, a different Dan, mm-hmm. a listener Dan, who says, when walking around East London, the mm-hmm. dulcet tones of Daniel Norcross are very soothing. And that made me wonder if maybe we are, let's be honest, you know, none of us have earned a bloody penny from this podcast. We do it purely out of the love of it. And frankly, I don't know why Finney does it. And 
Yet, I was thinking maybe this is our cash cow. Is there a market for a sort of 0906 mm-hmm. chat line, one of those sort of sexy numbers you find in the back of certain magazines, where people could call up and get through to you, Daniel Norcross, yes. and then you could sort of talk to them with your caramel voice, I don't yes. know, about your favourite sort of 1890s cricketers? Press one. <laughs> so I can see it now. Press one for your favourite rolling tobacco. Press two for all-rounders and googly bowlers in the Edwardian era. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, there's a market for this. Press three for a defence of Donald Bradman, who isn't as shit as Finney says, surely. Press four for a recap (laughs) of the entire Second World War. Yes, I could do this. In fact, it's funny you should say that. I went to the doctor the other day because I'm going to... um, You go to the doctor more than I have dinner. Well, no, it's just trying to get to the doctor is the thing. So I went to the doctor because I basically I hate flying. So I have to get hold of something that will basically tranquilize me while I fly, especially if you're going to Australia because it's an exceedingly long way away. And I had to, you know, I rang up and, and these, this woman on the, on the other end of the phone doing that thing. If you have COVID, press one. If you think you've got COVID, press two. And, you know, it's, it's really quite alarming. You know, do not come to the doctors under any circumstances if you're winking slightly out of your left eye, stuff like that. And I thought, do you know, maybe I should go and give them, like, my free honey voice press one if you have COVID. So it doesn't sound quite so, you know, nasty. Have you found that doctors, receptionists all sound extremely demanding? Maybe well, not. The- I mean, Finney goes private, I imagine. So he'll get, like, Joanna Lumley. Doing the voice. I mean, not actually Joanna Lumley performing surgery on you. That would be alarming. Yeah, you must get the best treatment in the world, Finney. Especially when you're with England. That's the time to get injured when you when you go on tour with England. Oh yeah, gold taps in the bathroom, everything. Yeah. Yeah, you get looked after well. You you always get sent to a clinic where they're used to dealing with sports people and you get ushered to the front of the queue to the dismay of a lot of the the more regular people in there waiting to have their MRI scans or, or something, yeah. But yeah, we're very fortunate with Ooh. the medical care that that we receive. So you're basically Holly and Phil, and I'm David Beckham. <laughs> um, I wouldn't quite put it that way. I mean, you're making me sound like a knob now. That's <laughs> well, you said it. You you said you just get wheeled past all these people. <laughs> I've had so many scans in my life. It's um, I'm amazed that I've not even stranger as a result of all the um, the magnetic force that has been passed through my body from the MRI scanners. You might be a superhero. My God, he might be a superhero, like you know Spider Man and the radioactive spider. What super? What type of superhero would you be? Glum man. <laughs> 74 mile an hour half volleys man it's very simple fuck me what are you then <laughs> there I am bigging up Finney and suggesting he's a superhero and instantly you undermine the message Toby it's well, been... yeah well you just compared yourself to David Beckham so I don't yeah. know what to make of it well yeah just um, yeah that's a very good point Matt I, I hadn't realised I had compared myself with David Beckham but now you mention it there are a lot of similarities similar kind of hair nice tw- Twinkly little grin, similar ages. You, you probably know. are the same age. Yeah. Yeah. How old are you again, Daniel? Norcross? I'm 53. Okay. <laughs> David Beckham's 47. So you see? he would what? have he would have to have 
a hell of a six years. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he'd actually have to do to look like Dan in six years. <laughs> six years. I, I know exactly what he'd have to do. <laughs> he'd have to get exposed to a lot more radiation than Finney's knee. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Anyway, I think we should put that out to tender. I think our, I think our listener was, because there seems to be more than one now, two or three, Tell us what what superhero would Finney become? Mm. <laughs> I'd be fascinated. I, I want to ask them. I'd rather ask them what Norcross has got to do in six years to. <laughs> sorry, what Beckham's got to do to look like Norcross in six years' time? <laughs> I think that's a more fun question. <laughs> you know what? We'll put them both to Twitter. I can send in my training routine. It is. It's very simple. I mean, it'd have to just it'd have to up it a little bit from what I'm on. So basically, take anything that I currently consume and times it by an extra fifty percent, and well, then yes, I think we... I catch up quick enough. I think. Yeah, well, because I mean, don't forget, he had an entire professional footballing career mm. during his twenties and thirties, and you didn't do that bit. So he's got a lot of catching up to do in six years. Yeah, but if you looked at old uh, sports people, people retired sports people, all of them have limps. All of them have got something wrong with them. They all have to get new bloody hips. You know, eventually, like, look at Razor Ruddock. I think I've got a bit on Razor Ruddock for Christ's sake. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> they stop training, they eat too much, their hips get fucked. They do a, a very gentle round of golf once or twice a week the rest of the time is spent vegging on the sofa eating all the things they weren't allowed to eat for 20 years so do you know they catch up pretty quick it, it is true if you've ever seen a especially like rugby players if you see them oh. two years after retirement the state of them because all that muscle suddenly stops being used every single day they all look like vogon they look like vogon poets in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy google it if you don't know um actually one of the Vogon poets looks quite a bit like Neville Southall. Oh, I love, by the way, I love Neville Southall. But that, oh, we're digressing. We're going into an extraordinary place where we're talking about Neville Southall. It's supposed to be a cricket podcast, Toby. Uh, sorry, Get a grip. It's not like us to digress. Although whilst we're on the topic of uh, of David Beckham, who I have to admit, I watched, I saw the clips of him in the queue for the Queen, and he's a dashing fella, isn't he, David Beckham? He's a handsome chap. a lot chap. of him in me, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. He's you know he's just he's he's Norcross six years ago is what he is. He's yeah. a he's a very handsome, beautiful chap. Um, and I was looking at his his wonderful facial hair, and uh, that got me thinking. Now, I uh, I actually went to the hairdressers this afternoon just to get my beard done. That's the stage oh. at life I'm at now because I hate shaving so much. That if I've got a spare twenty minutes, I go to the hairdressers downstairs from my flat and get them just to do the beard. Now, Finney, I've never seen you. With much more than a designer stubble, can you grow a full blown, full blown sort of blue toe beard? No, no, I'd um, I'd make a pathetic attempt of it. My tash is okay. My mm. tash actually gets a, a decent amount of coverage on it, but the rest of me is pretty pointless when it comes to um, facial hair. The problem now, with the tash this... is is that it it can only go one of two ways, really, and that's why it needs a beard. It either makes you look extremely sinister like quite a lot of the teachers at my public school that boys would routinely try to avoid. Or you look like a 1940s airman. And you can't really do anything other than those two. So you need the beard. If you're going to have a tash, you really do need beard with it, I find. Well, An isolated I mean, tash the, is a weird-looking thing. I don't know. A lot of the Australians are pulling off the isolated tash nowadays. Some better than others, admittedly. Well, you know, it's October, isn't it? So next month's Movember. Mm. Maybe we need a zero ducks given Movember. I I've accidentally never had a did. I did. I did Movember one year, and this is a, a, a true, absolutely true. And I was using clippers to um, to to get it right, and uh, 
I, I missed the spot. I got the wrong spot on the right-hand side, so I have to even it up on the left-hand side, and I ended up with a, a ginger Hitler tash, which was a really, <laughs> really bad look. I mean, yeah. crikey, I, that was proper sacrifice that year. I've got, I'll dig out the photo <laughs> for you at some point, if you like. And maybe it's another thing for our three listeners to discuss on social media, whether we should attempt November. It's probably the only thing that we could do better than No Balls podcast. Sure, they've got a better, more successful podcast than us, but I bet I can grow a much better moustache than Kate and Alex. Oh, That's probably the you. only thing we could do better than nobles. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. On well, that's, that a, that's, note, that's a cheery get... thought, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that note, let's get into the cricket. Uh, so the 2020 series between England and Pakistan came to an end. England were absolutely brilliant. One by 67 runs after posting a mammoth 209 in their 20 overs. More runs for Milan, more runs for Harry Brook, few runs for Ben Duckett before he, he got run out. There's a couple of run-outs actually in England innings. And Pakistan never really looked on course to chase it after Topley and Wokes knocked over their top order. And it brings to end what has been a brilliant, brilliant series. It's been ebb and flow. It's been an unbelievable array of talent on both sides, especially for the Pakistan bowling and the England batting at times. And obviously a very, very beautiful return for England to Pakistan. Finney, I guess that's kind of in amongst it all. The real winner here is cricket returning to Pakistan and putting on a hell of a show as well. Yeah, well, I suppose no one really anticipated when they announced the seven-match series that it would manage to go down to the last match. It's quite amazing and incredible, actually, given how one-sided some of those series tend to be. Um, I think, yeah, and, and from a playing perspective, I think that... Um, Harry Brook and Ben Duckett did themselves no um, disservice at all through the tournament. I thought they were both excellent. Um, and then Mark Woodbold with serious, serious pace, didn't he? Which I think was wonderful to see for um, all cricket fans who um, who were sad to see him be injured after the Ashes trip. And yeah, and for him and Chris Wokes to come back into the team after barely playing any cricket all summer, and to perform as they've done uh, is very heartening for, for us as England fans going into the World Cup, I think. Yeah, there was a few players, weren't there? We, we touched on this last week, obviously talking about Harry Brook and Ben Duckett, with Finney both mentioned there. Uh, but Reese Topley as well has had a wonderful few months in an England shirt. Bowled beautifully at Lords when I was there earlier this summer to watch him bowl at India. He was magnificent. Uh, an absolute seed in the final game on Sunday as well. He's uh, he's one whose stock has risen the last few months, isn't he, Norcross? Especially after some some bad injury troubles over the last couple of years as well. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, it's a weird thing to say, but I think he might be in the first choice 11. And why it's weird is because at the end of this conversation, we're going to try to unravel who should be in England's 11. And it's very, very difficult to know who. Uh, they've tried out a load of left armers. They had Luke Wood out there, David Wheelie, Sam Curran, Reese Topley. Uh, not to mention the left arm's bit of Liam Dawson. And all of them had their moments and showed how they would enhance an England side or at least perform creditably in one. I think that there's so much to un unpick in this series. I like what the very first thing, right from the very top, is what is T20 cricket? Is it anything like any other forms of cricket? Well, it sort of isn't, is it? Because England were. So clearly the better side across seven matches. They should have won 6-1. And the one game that they should have lost, they did lose. And it was only because of a stellar opening batting partnership between Barber and Rizwan. But that exposed the problems that Pakistan have. Pakistan rely so strongly on those two guys. Those The top two scored something like 100 runs more than the rest of the team put together. 
because of the way they choose to play, which is really strange. And then you contrast it with the way England play, and you can just look at it on the numbers. England don't care. They don't want their opening batter to hang around at all. So Phil Salt, he, it was genuine hit and miss because it's the nature of T20 if you're going to risk Sometimes it comes off, he got, gets 81 and out. Sometimes he gets eight or three. Now, that eight or three, I guarantee you, the coaches would have been saying, perfect. Now, obviously, it'd be more perfect if you kept going, but eight or three is what we want you to do at the top of the order. Barbara and Rizwan were not doing that. They were getting like seven and a half and over in the power play and then building and building. <laughs> England's method is to go so hard so long. And if you look at the strike rates of all of them, the one that stands out is Dawid Milan. And that is like, is he an anchor or isn't he an anchor? Because he looked like he was trying to hit out like the others, but found it difficult at the beginning of his innings. And as a guy, it takes a little bit of time to get going. When you then add up all the players that can bat in that side, and bearing in mind that Ben Duckett's not even going to be in the squad, right? And he was a star of that seven-match series, played all the games. Harry Brook probably has nailed on the number five spot. But bear in mind, you've got to fit in Liam Livingston, Ben Stokes, Joss Butler into that lineup, or do you? Which that's a question to be asked. But it's fascinating to just watch those two approaches. And, and England, they won it 4 3, but really, I think they're spitting feathers that they lost the two that they lost because they played almost perfect T20 cricket with the ball. And then the way they played, that, that put pressure on them. So. There's going to be a little bit of thinking they've got to do about how far you take that approach. And if there is a point in which an, an innings, you actually just row back a touch earlier. I don't know. But broadly speaking, it was an incredible success, given that they didn't get to use their best players very much. Wokes and Wood between them took more wickets in four games than their next best wicket taker, which was Sam Curran. Sam Curran was their most economical bowler, which comes as quite a surprise. He bowled some pretty wretched deliveries in there, but also bowled a, some fantastic overs. How do they fit him in? They probably don't some, somehow. And he was their most successful bowler. And between, as I say, Wokes and Wood, they took eight for 100 and went around 6.2 between them. You know, it's um, there's a lot of difficult things to work out for the England selectors when they get to the World Cup. But they must be delighted with what is really only half their first team being pretty dominant across the seven games. Well, I, I said last week it's a nice problem for the England selectors to have. I've been, because uh, I've got no life, been uh, writing down on the notes on my phone, been trying to work out England's best first 11 for the first game of the 2020 World Cup. And the fact is, go for it. it's movable. Players will come in and out during the tournament and dependent on the conditions on the pitch and stuff like that as well. But I think there is a way of getting Butler, Livingston, Curran all in my team. Wait a minute. What, what you're saying is here, this is for the semi-final, right? Okay. And, and everyone is available. Okay. okay. And, okay. you know, it's either Adelaide, Sydney, or, or no, it's a Melbourne probably. But, you know, yep. if, it's, if it is there, that's your pitch. That's your place. That's the game. What's your team? Okay. Here's what I've gone for. Are you ready for this? All right. And there's going to be big names missing out no matter what. But here's what I've written down. Hales, Butler, Milan, Brooke, Stokes, Livingston, Moeen Ali, Curran, Rashid, Wood, Topley. That's the team I've gone for there, which means Wokes misses out. It means Phil Salt misses out. But that, for Chris me... Chris Jordan. Chris Jordan misses out. Yeah, where's out. your death bowling? That, where, is, where is the, the death that bowling? is 
<laughs> that is my one thing. I've got Jordan with a big question mark written down next to him. But there's death bowling in there in the form of Sam Curran. Can bowl a death. He's done it plenty of times in the T20. Topley bowls death, doesn't he? Topley bowls Top death. bowls death. There is death bowling in there. But that, for me, is my favourite England eleven. It's cruel on, uh, on Phil Salt. But I don't think he'll <laughs> he'll mind being behind your Joss Butler and Alex Hales opening partnership. I would point out Salt probably outbatted Hales in this series, but in Australia, where Hales has been remarkable in the BBL over a number of years, I think he gets the nod ahead of Phil Salt for me. Um, people talking about Stokes, you know, where does he fit in this side? He hasn't played a T20 for England in God knows how long, but it's Ben Stokes. And I know his stats aren't great in T20s for England, but it's Ben Stokes. At the end of the day, if if you wanted a guy to chase you any sort of total in a tense situation in a, in a T20 World Cup semi-final, you pick Ben Stokes. Every country in the world would want Ben Stokes in that situation. Do you reckon? I mean, if you if you check out Ben Stokes's T20 strike rate and compare it up against the sort of people that you might be thinking about putting in instead, right, or, or balancing the side in a slightly different way, does he justify it? Is bowling, you're going to be looking for an over or two every now and then but but most games probably not with the like with the lineup you've got Curran's bowling all four Rashid's bowling all four Woods bowling all four Topley's bowling all four and you've got a bit of Livingston you've got a bit of Stokes I've got Mo in there as well but I Mo think in, on those yeah. hard pitches Stokes is going to probably be just as useful as a, a, a bit of pace will be just as useful as some of the spin bowlers or some of those hard glassy pitches you get in Australia look the thing is there's no right answer to this at the end of the day is there but that was the well, team I Finney. Finney come on Finney talk to me you've got your you best go England for? 11 everyone's available come on Finney give me a give me a lineup. I have got Butler Hale slash Salt because I'm still undecided about who salts the man in possession. Hales didn't... I mean, he batted really well in the first one, didn't he? But then didn't yeah. play the sort of innings that Salt did in the one that won them the sixth one. So I think I do still think that's up in the air, and I'd probably be leaning towards Salt at the moment. Milan, three. Stokes, four. Ali, five. Livingston, six. Curran, seven. Jordan, eight. Rashid, Wood and Topley. So I've got no so you not, one of Salt no or Hales, no Wokes, no Brook, no Willie. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Well, as well. Wokes I, has missed I, out I on both teams so far. I have, to, I have to have Brook in that team. I absolutely have to. Okay, but so where, what number do you want him to bat though? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I want Stokes in the team. So I'm, okay, I'm happy right. with so he Brooke. replaces Stokes as the top five batter. Yeah, he does. Yeah, for me, and. Um, I've 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 got to have Curran. I think I would have Wokes because he's how he bowls with the new ball, both in fifty over cricket and, and twenty over cricket, is genuinely wicket taking. And if you can, as we saw in the last game, when both openers, the seventh game, both openers went, that was the end of it. That that just did it for Pakistan. Now you won't always be up against sides that are that is sort of like set up like Pakistan, but getting rid of openers is a seriously important thing to be able to do. And uh, so I want Wood and Wokes. I thought they proved that they were the most effective in Pakistan. Uh, I want Curran. I think I want Topley and Rashid. And that's my bowling attack. And then I would decide, kind of depending on conditions, between Moeen, who I'm not sure is actually nailed on to be in the side. Stokes, who I don't think should necessarily be nailed on to be in the side. And Livingston. But I've got to have Brooke. 
got to have Brooke. I can't. No. I can't not after after that series of games and after everything we've seen this year against Red Bull and every every other. Oh Ethel, she's eating biltong. Um, I, <laughs> I can't. I can't see how you can leave out Harry Brook. He's just. A thing. I'd, I'd say he's gone ahead of Livingston. Well, I've managed to get him and Stoke back. both in, but this, this. I mean, first of all, can I point out that if people, I, I say this every week, if you'd never listened to the podcast before, <laughs> we're now once again Phineas pointing his webcam straight up Ethel's <laughs> butthole. <laughs> it's a lovely butthole. It's really She's well, not moving either, is she? <laughs> it's really well kept. Do you know what I mean? It's it's. Have you taken her? She cleans herself. Oh, yeah, she's very good. Yeah, I wish I wish I I have to go to the local hairdressers to get my beard done, and yet Ethel's butthole is quite remarkable, and she does that herself. <laughs> Ethel's butthole is quite remarkable. <laughs> That's the title. Yeah, that was again. That was I the need to point out correct commentary of the third test between England and Australia in 1938 that never went out. <laughs> I have to. I have to. I have to do a little recap here for people that. They're new to the podcast, and believe it or not, there are apparently new listeners joining every week. Ethel is Stephen Finn's cat. Before you get any images in your head of some sort of landlady of Finney or something like that, <laughs> Ethel is Finney's cat. Um, and whilst Norcross was talking about the England T20 World Cup selection, he got distracted and said, oh, Ethel, she's eating some biltong. Which I just thought, if you didn't know what he was talking about, that's quite the, <laughs> quite the digression. Um, anyway, trying to come back to a bit of cricket. Um, I mean, I, I want to ask Finney two things, actually, because I, 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 the Ben Stokes thing, first of all, I get what you're saying, Norcross, but how many times have we said on this podcast, Ben Stokes is a cricketer that likes the big occasion? And ultimately, Harry Brook, as brilliant as he is, if you're only picking one, in my team, they're both in, but if you're only picking one, Finney, Ben Stokes, he, he's a giant in that changing room. He's an inspirational character. The whole changing room must look up to him. If you're in that changing room as a bowler, you want Ben Stokes playing in your side, don't you? I think the most personal thing to look back to is the 2019 World Cup when he played that innings in the final to drag England back into the game. And would you want that sort of character in your team when it comes to tournament cricket? Yes, you definitely would. And that's not saying that Harry Brook won't develop into someone who is of that character um, and that confidence in international cricket because everything we've seen suggests that he will be that person eventually, or someone who's very capable in those situations eventually. But if we were going into a World Cup semi-final tomorrow, I've still no doubt that Ben Stokes is one of the most important players in English cricket. Can he open? Could he open? Because he could change the dynamic. Because he has done it, IPL. He's done it in the IPL, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So if you open with Stokes and Butler, and, and the other thing I've got to ask is about Milan, right? Because... I, I try to watch it both passionately and dispassionately, depending on how I feel that day. And on either of those, I can't quite work out whether Milan, what Milan is doing, how he sets himself up. Now, his numbers worked out okay. They weren't stratospheric in this series, incidentally, but there were lots of times when Milan did that thing that people worry about Milan, which is that uh, he uses quite a few balls to get going. Now, given that everybody else is going hell for leather, two things occur. One is that Finney's team, I think, has got too long a tail for me because they actually do end up using numbers seven and eight more in T20s than most other teams do because of the high-risk approach they take at the top. And 
What precisely is his function? He doesn't feel to me to be an anchor because he's, he's trying to get going, but doesn't. So is his place absolutely sacrosanct? And I put him in my team, but I'm kind of not quite sure if all our problems aren't solved, if you're allowed to have Salt, Butler, Stokes, Brook, Livingston. That's quite an interesting top five, isn't it? It is. But I do think that maybe he wouldn't have played every game in this series if they didn't intend to to play him in the World Cup, I think, because I, by the time they moved towards the end of the series, it was quite yeah. obvious that they were setting up with the dynamic that they would anticipate playing in the World Cup, I think. Not playing the extra spinner, not um, you know going predominantly seam, which I think is going to be the way forward in Australia. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't see him missing out, I think. Yeah, if you were to to want to fit all of those names in, then then maybe he'd be the one to miss out. But I I do think he is a bit of an anchor. He plays classic shots, doesn't he? You won't see him give his wicket away playing a big ugly heave across the line. And I do think there is still room for people to play like that in amongst all the superstar hitters. He does bloody unfurl a beautiful cover drive from time mm. to time as well. It's worth leaving him in just oh, for those yeah. cover drives alone sometimes. It's magnificent. Matt, I mean, it's a, like I said, it's a nice problem for selectors to have because we're talking about all these names and Bairstow's injured and Jason Roy's fallen off a cliff form-wise. But you chuck those two names in there at the top of their game. It's a pretty pretty decent batting line that England have got. Uh, one question I want to ask you, Finney, and Norcross mentioned it earlier there with Chris Wokes taking wickets at the, the top of the order. I feel like in recent years in particular in T20, I just want to know what the sort of discussions you've had in the changing room tactically. It feels like nobody bowls spells anymore in, in T20. It's, it, sometimes I see a bowler bowling so well, but he maximum two overs at the start. What, what's the thought process behind that? Is it that batsmen get set against a certain type of bowler? Yeah, yeah, I think it's exactly that. You get used to what a bowler is trying to do in amongst your the plans in the top six, in those opening six overs, I think. You tend to try and get hit in a certain direction and that can fox a batter for an over and two overs max, but it's not very frequently you'll see someone bowl three overs in the power play. Um, I did it a few times for Sussex this year, I think, and more often than not, your third over does get whacked just because people are getting used to what you're, what you're bowling. I think the one way where you can do it is where if you're taking regular wickets and you've just got new people coming to the crease and cycling through. How set in stone would that be? Because the reason I ask is Norcross mentioned they're about work. Sometimes I watch him, he's bowling so well with the new ball and then they take him off. And then I see him come back on to bowl, you know, overs 15 or 17 and suddenly he looks so much more ineffective with the ball not nipping around as much. And I'm like, wouldn't it have been better to get another over him out of him at the start? How flexible do you guys before a T20 sort of discuss roughly which bowler is going to bowl when and rough plans and then do they go completely out the window when you're out the middle or is it completely on the fly? Um, I think some captains do it differently. Some captains go out there with a, a set plan for those six um, of who's going to bowl what over no matter what because of the um, the numbers and the matchups and the ends at grounds, especially in English domestic cricket. And when you're pushed on the big grounds to edges of the square I think sometimes people look and obsess over that too much at Sussex or the way that I captain when I did it would would usually be you have the first two overs sorted and then you take a judgment call from there about what you think is working 
on that pitch. So you'll ask the bowler to bowl a cutter in his first over to see if it grips. You'll ask the spinner to bowl a couple of different paces to see what it's doing. And then you um, you sort of make your assumptions from there and just trust your gut instinct. Have you got a preference as a bowler? I sometimes think that at the death, you can obviously get absolutely whacked. But in the way that T20 has gone now, you can get whacked at any point. But you can absolutely burgle a few wickets at the end there. Have you got a time that you personally prefer coming on? Um, I love bowling the power play still because it just suits my style of bowling more. I find bowling at the end difficult because I think for a tall person, it's hard to nail a Yorker consistently. Just for some reason, it's something that I've always found the most difficult skill in the game is is finding that Yorker consistently. So, yeah, I find bowling up front fun. I like moving the field around and, and trying to play games with the batters with your two men out of the circle. But it is also a bit of risk-reward because you only have two people outside the circle, so you can get whacked sometimes. But, yeah, I'd probably prefer bowling up front and through the middle than the death just because I think it suits my style of bowling more. I always think it must be terrifying bowling in the power plays nowadays. Well, you say with two people out, when you look at some, you know, you look at Azam and Rizwan coming into the crease, and I'm thinking, two people out, it feels like nowadays they can hit everywhere. Anyway, that's enough of the pyjama cricket. Now on to proper, proper cricket. I'm talking, of course, about the county championship and a stunning, stunning final day. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Liam Norwell took a stunning 9 for 62 to keep Warwickshire in the county championship, and to relegate Yorkshire. I mean, he has written himself down in county championship folklore forever. He'll be a quiz question years from now. It was a wonderful, wonderful. So 13 wickets in the game as well. Um, Norcross, where were you when this was happening? I'd imagine sat in one of the rooms in the east wing of your house with a sort of leak in the roof dripping on your head and watching the live stream sort of under a blanket. That's how I picture you spending most of your days. It was yeah, a little bit like that. Was, I mean, it was this was this was the Jimmy Glass moment, wasn't it for um, for Warwickshire? It was uh, the, the famous Carlisle keeper. It was absolutely incredible, and annoyingly, I had kept a very close eye on all the comings and goings, especially because there was a fascinating situation brewing at Middlesex the day before, which had it not been for John Simpson being utterly brilliant as he has been all season with over a thousand runs. What an underrated cricketer that boy is. Unbloody boys. He's antique. He's almost as old as me. Um, he, 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 by getting that fifth bonus point, meant that Glamorgan were screwed as long as Middlesex didn't lose. I had that to, to get my head round. And uh, I had, obviously, the Warwickshire, Yorkshire, uh, Hampshire situation all bubbling under. Because it was very, it was absolutely bloody sensitive. It was brilliant. And, it, and it's why County Championship cricket is so, so good. Because there are all these multiple narratives taking place simultaneously. And what it boiled down to was that Warwickshire had to win against Hampshire, who until last week were in with an extremely good chance of winning the whole damn thing. 
So there had been rain at Edgebaston, and they had to declare Warwickshire on 270-odd for four. They got the couple of bonus points they needed for another part of the mad equation, because that's what you're also thinking about when it comes to the final day. And the game was drifting to a draw, and I didn't really believe it would happen. And then Warwickshire went back out to bat. They had a little bit of a deficit, and they tried to score runs quickly on a pitch that was clearly getting a little bit more difficult, and ended up setting at a pitiful target of 138, was it? Something like that? 138, 39? And... um, I just assumed Hampshire were going to get there. So I thought, oh, what an anticlimactic end to the season. So I took off my smoking jacket. I went into my study. I grabbed all of the receipts for all the things that I'd failed to claim for for the previous two and a half months. And I set about doing my expenses. And I was watching idly. And then when I got to a really important bit that involved a phone call, suddenly Hampshire lost three wickets for five runs, Yorkshire went down, Warwickshire stayed up, and I missed the news. I missed the goddamn news. I came back from a complicated conversation around mileage, only to discover that the most dramatic event of the season had taken place, and I hadn't seen it. It was a... It was a... Can you sum it up in a noise? Yes, that was the noise. It It was very annoying, but I obviously went back to watch it, and what a fantastic moment it is when he takes the ninth wicket, his ninth wicket, the tenth wicket to win the game. And bear in mind, I'm half Yorkshire, but I don't have a great deal of, of love for the county, as, as perhaps is understandable. Um, I, uh, although it is a great, great place with terrific food, and Tommy Banks is marvellous, by the way, and everyone loves the Dales. But seeing Yorkshire go down doesn't fill me with despair, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was the the fielders, I mean, Finney will be able to identify with this. The the championship winning moment in 2016. This was winning. This was staying up. But staying up in the most crucial year to stay up. If Andrew Strauss's interesting recommendations get past the planning stage, then if you go down this year, which Yorkshire have done, you can't go back up next year. There's, you are, you're in purgatory for a while. It's a terrible time to go down. And for, for Warwickshire to save themselves in those circumstances that you could see on the live stream, hats flying everywhere. It's like the bloody 1930s at a cup final. You know, after expecting a white horse to come by. That was the 1920s, I know. Don't write in, 1923. But uh, I was there. And the, it was it was just fantastic. Fielders just going in all directions. Hampshire batters who didn't care. They didn't care because they weren't going down. So you've got this wonderful contrast of emotion where 11 people are so unbelievably relieved. And then, in the middle of their relief, the groundsman go, comes on with the trolley <laughs> to sort out other pitches and take the stumps away. It was the most brilliantly prosaic sight in all of county cricket, but it was also everything that we love about the game. It was, oh, God, what a feeling that must have been. I, I was laughing at that. I thought the only way this could be better is if, Warwickshire and Yorkshire were playing each other because the Hampshire batsmen couldn't care less. 133 all out. Okay, we'll see you in six months. Mm. And I have to admit, though, Finney, I was watching the celebrations uh, with Middlesex, and I want to talk to you about that actually in just a sec. Obviously, your former stomping ground, but the Warwickshire celebrations in particular were so, so good. There's something beautiful about the county championship. And, you know, apart from if you've got a, a team full of guys that are off playing for England and playing IPL all the time. But it feels like when you watch the celebrations of a team that have played, you know, most of them have played 13, 14 games together. Um, 
it's the closest thing that I think club cricketers can relate to when we watch those celebrations because it seems like a proper team camaraderie, a proper dressing room. It's away from the glitz and the glamour and the spotlight of England cricket a lot of the time. It's a lot of cloudy, rainy away days in places that you can't pronounce. And uh, is there, have you got a real affinity for the county championships? Obviously, it's sort of what made you the cricketer that you were and ultimately led to the England fold. But it just feels like such a, a lovely, proper changing room atmosphere when you watch those sort of scenes. Yeah, I mean, look, it's when you do spend that much time and the preparation time. Um, sorry, Ethel's literally waving her arse all around in my face. Yeah. <laughs> she's flicking your face with her, with her yeah, tail in a very coquette way, yeah. I've got to say. She loves it. She's very sweet. Very <laughs> pain in the arse, though. Um, yeah, but no, you you put so much work into it. Yeah, and it's a culmination of, of a season's hard graft. I, I think I've spoke a few times about how rewarding it is when you win a game of four-day cricket because because you put so much hard work and effort and then you times that by 14 throughout the whole season and, and your four-day year is a reflection of how you've done in those games. And yeah, you people talk about the treadmill or the cycle of county cricket and there's a lot of talk, isn't there, at the moment about the rest and the recuperation that people may need to make the standards better. But by the end of the season, you are exhausted, um, especially if you're a multi-format cricketer, you really are exhausted. And I think it's a a little bit of relief, a little bit of yeah, shared respect to the hard work that you put in for each other um, and also knowing you've got a month where you can eat and drink to your heart's content. <laughs> yeah, I bet there were some very, very sore heads the day after in uh, in the Warwickshire and Middlesex dressing rooms. Now, Middlesex, your former, your former teammates, Finney, I want to talk to you about Toby Rowland-Jones, a mutual friend of ours. Just so nice to see him. He loves the last day of the county championship season, obviously, the hero in Middlesex won the title a few years ago. Um, but how pleased are you for him? Top wicket taker in County Championship Division 2 after his injury problems over the last few years? Yeah, he's had a tough three or four years, hasn't he? I think two stress fractures and then a knee surgery last year. But yeah, to see him come back at, I think he'd be 34 now, I think, Toby. So yeah, to see him come back and take that many wickets and play the part that he's played. I mean, he's a great competitor. I think the one thing that you will always get from Toby, whether he's fully fit or not, is the competitive spirit that he brings to a team. And similar to something like someone like Ben Stokes, the amount of times that in tricky situations or situations where it's needed it, that he's put his hand up for Middlesex with either bat or ball and pulled them through. Um, he's really been a talisman of the team for a long time. And to see him do that over the course of the whole season as a good friend of mine is very heartening and um and very inspiring, I think, because I've had knee surgery and I'd like to do the same next year for Sussex. You'll be there, Finney. You'll be. We'll be talking about your your nine for whatever on the last day of the season this time next year. And um, by the way, we can never let Toby Roland Jones ever know that you, in a sentence there, compared him briefly to Ben Stokes. He can never hear about that comparison because he'll be unbearable. <laughs> uh, we'll have to get him on the podcast at some point in the next few weeks. Definitely. Um, anyway, chaps, lovely to see you both. I'd say oh. it's lovely to be back in England, but it isn't. And and I shall see you next week. Well, well, I've got I've got to leave England just as you come back like ships that pass in the night. Um, I've got to, I've got to leave England. I've got to go to Australia, and I've just packed up the pills that I'm taking just to be on the plane, right? And, and this isn't the stuff that's going in the bag. So I've got my nicotine gum, I've got my ibuprofen, I've got my uh, paracetamol, I've got my arse tablets times two. Um, I've <laughs> got uh i've got my statins i've got my blood pressure pills um i've got my tranquilizers 
Uh, I've got my vitamin C and uh, I've got all my teepees so that I can, you know, floss my teeth because it's very important for uh, men's health, especially, by the way, because you can suddenly drop down dead of a heart attack if your gums are a bit wonky, apparently, according to the person that made me spend £8,000 getting my gums sorted out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm quite daunted by it. I'm daunted by the flight. So um, wish me luck, and I'm terrified of flying. And hopefully, we'll we'll meet next week. I don't know how or what time or where. Well, I hope it goes better than uh, my mate Dan, a different Dan. Oh. He was once flying to Japan for business, and he was absolutely, genuinely terrified of planes. I mean, you know, couldn't actually bear the thought of them. And so he decided, right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a load of sleeping pills mm. and drink a bottle of vodka before I get on the plane and pass out the entire way. So, yeah, so he, he drank, he basically drank a bottle of vodka at the airport. He cut, chucked a couple of sleeping pills down his mouth. And then just moments before he was about to get on the plane, they delayed it by four hours. Oh. <laughs> so he now blacks out. He has no memory of anything beyond this point. He, this is a completely true story. He woke up in his seat flying to Japan and he had been handcuffed to his seat and to this day <laughs> he doesn't know what he did he still doesn't know what he did when he got to the other side Japanese police uncuffed him and let him enter the country and he was asking everyone what did I do what happened and they were just they wouldn't tell him they just uncuffed him and, and hand, handed him over to the people that were meeting him at the other side <laughs> at least he was asleep at least he was asleep for a bit of the flight I, I did I did something not dissimilar coming back from Perth with a colleague um five years ago so i powered through the night got a bit pissed did a um chewbacca impersonation in front of jimmy anderson strangely enough uh, that's your whatsapp profile photo that is my whatsapp profile photo yeah in a, in a hotel room in perth that was about 3 30 in the morning um i was get got the got the uh the cab at 4 30 in the morning so powered on through can't quite remember getting on the plane um then woke up I mean, we've like proper fast asleep, you know, real drool. Because, of course, this was like I'd, I'd gone through the night thinking, oh, this is great. This feels like I've had like a proper sleep. I've even got a bit of a hangover coming on. That was like four or five hours, surely. To the sound, we are sorry again for the late departure of this flight. Oh. We are still waiting for the catering truck to arrive. <laughs> the catering <laughs> truck. It's a five-hour flight to Singapore. You're just going to give me a mouldy roll and some cheese. That was it. <laughs> Right? Who gives a shit about the breakfast? Just get me to Singapore. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, hence well, I'm, I hope it I'm goes slightly... better than that. No, I don't, yeah. All those supplements sound exactly like what David Beckham would take to get through a flight, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think he yeah. had exactly my little bag in the queue. And he showed it. And he also has a little, you know, a little gum brush as well, because you need that if you're in a queue for 14 hours. You've got to keep your gums yeah, healthy. Fam Did I famously, Beckham always takes his arse tablets times two whenever he goes yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> right on that note uh, I'll see you next week Norcross we'll have to work out how the hell we do a podcast with you in Australia time we'll wise, manage we'll, we'll, we'll manage we'll manage yeah. uh, right good to see you both chaps see you next week love you bye 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 sports social podcast network this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.